Hello and welcome to the Magic Musicals and Theatre Podcast. I'm Alice Arnold and in this podcast we're going to have a look back at some of the highlights of last year. Right, for our first clip, I went backstage to visit Miranda when she was playing Miss Hannigan in the musical Annie. And before you hear this, you should probably be aware that we are old chums and that the cake that I'd given her had actually been dropped on the floor. Anyway, I'm in your dressing room. You are because a dressing room, it's of, so exciting. Of the, the Piccadilly Theatre where yeah. you are starring yeah. in Annie the musical. Oh, no. Why are you laughing? Well, well we're, we're both laughing. Why, yeah, how? Well, what? How did <laughs> What's happened How to did it happen? Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> I suppose we're laughing more because you know me, so it's, it's kind of funnier how it's all happened. Well, it um, came about a random route, but basically I was sort of thinking, you know, I, I would love to do something very different. I'd love to tread the boards again. Don't mm. want to write another stand-up tour. That's very tiring and lonely. I want to be in a company, in a structure. I was thinking... And I couldn't find the right play that I wanted to do. And then I thought, shall I just see? Should I just put feelers out? So I asked someone in musical theatre, and I said, do you think it's a ridiculous notion? Would you ever sponsor me to learn to sing and dance? Because realistically, I'm never going to go to lessons on my own. It just I've been trying uh, to do okay, that for 20 right. years. Yeah. But, you know, any excuse not to, or scared or whatever. And um, this theatre producer said, well, funny you should say, but I know that they're, they're taking Annie into the West End next year, so I'll put you in touch with the producer, who then said offered it to me you're a shoe in and I was like within three days this all happened and I was like oh, hang on a minute <laughs> hang on everyone hang on but you are a massive Strictly fan I am a massive so Strictly fan you you like the dancing I thing da- you I love lo- dancing I love dancing I love musicals I love singing I've yeah. always wanted to dance and sing my whole life and just sort of haven't through fear mainly so did they send you off then for dancing and singing lessons? So when they said, will you do it? I said, can, I asked them, I said, you need to see if I can pull this off because I'm not going to do it just to be, you know, just for stunt casting. Mm. I want to mm. do it because I can do it. And um, so I met the MD and he said, which of course is musical director I now know. <laughs> well, the MD had said, playing my piano at home and me trying to sing he says you've got a long way to go and we need you need singing lessons to learn how to technically sing because you never sung but you do have an instrument so you have an instrument i have an instrument and it wasn't a triangle because i'm musical i can sing in tune yeah yeah and you like your carols and everything we've done that we go yearly to the albert hall um obviously that's a showbiz exclusive isn't it for the listeners it is but, um, yeah, we're yeah. still allowed to go there. We're still allowed to go there. Do you do the desk dance, or is that just me and Sarah I can't Hadden? do them anymore. I can't do them no. anymore because they're way too high. In I fact, I know. sing the carols now an octave down. You go down. That's, I, that's I do how, the desk dance. I can't, can't do that. And Claire Balding tells us off for yeah. being too loud. For doing anything yeah. much. Yeah, she's worried about all our reputations. She is worried about our <laughs> reputations. She will always be my head girl looking after me. Our next guest is Jason Manford, who probably, I think we know better as a comedian, but we discovered he does actually come from a very musical background. Now, but your family were musical. Yes, yeah. yes. They were all performers on my mum's side, mm-hmm. the, the Irish side. So my gran, um, Nana Ryan, Nora Ryan, uh, she came over in the 50s with my granddad uh, from Dublin. 
to the northwest, and they were like a little folk duo, and and uh, they they toured the pubs and clubs of the northwest, the Irish scene and the folk scene, and and they were they were great. You know, she was a a brilliant showwoman. She was just so engaging, and you know, just these these men just looked like were in love with her. You know, even now, funnily enough, even now if I'm in a pub in Manchester, there'll be old Irish men. Uh, you know, and they're not coming over to speak to me because they've they've seen me on telly. They're coming over to speak to me about my nana, who is oh. not no longer with us right. now. But uh, and then she had eleven children. They had eleven children, eleven. Mm. and she taught them all how to play instruments, and she taught them all to harmonise and sing. And by the sort of mid to late seventies, they were this huge show band, like uh, double with, the von Trapp. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were with the costumes and the uh, the outfits and uh, the the full show. And they'd started doing country songs and, uh, you know, incorporating that into their acts. Um, I think a couple of them um, ended up on uh, New Faces, mm-hmm. you know, at the time. And, you know, so they were doing really, really well. And and that was uh, and that is what I remember from when I was uh, a kid, really, was Sunday afternoon, we would go to the Little Western Pub in Moss Side and, my, and, and, and the band were on. The whole band were playing on this tiny stage, all everyone cramped onto this stage it was packed there was people like outside I remember sitting under the pool table eating prawn cocktail crisps with my <laughs> with my brothers and the bass sound like coming from the other room because uh, that's what I always thought I'd end up doing I thought I'd just go down the, the family tradition I suppose like in my family it would have been more of a shock if it had gone guys I want to be an accountant yes been, how dare you not under <laughs> my roof job? yes you get on that stage now, although most of my chats have been about musical theatre, we also did chat to David Baddiel because his one-man show, which was not a musical, obviously, but he really reveals some truths about his family and his life. And it, well, it actually, it got quite deep, this interview, and he was fascinating. How old were you when your mother... Started her affair with a golfing member of Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd say I first... Well, I certainly, uh, when she started it, I was probably quite young and not aware that that's what it was. But by the time I was 13 or 14, and she was, one of the things that the show is very keen on, making it, my mother was very proud of her affair. My mum felt that having an affair was glamorous and that the man that she was having an affair with was, in her mind, a kind of superstar, even though he was a golfing memorabilia salesman. But in my mum's imagination, and he is quite dishy, I would say. Uh, You know, he had a beard and a pipe and everything. I was probably, by the time I was a teenager... I was not only well aware of it, I was making jokes about it. It was it had gone through whatever damage it might have caused and into comedy quite early on. And did that affect your relationships in the future in terms of trusting people? No, I don't. That's a very good question. Uh, And it's not something in 10 years of therapy, I think, ever came up. Um, I think that I... It depends what you mean by trust, you see, because I... Although I've always been monog- monogamous in my life, I don't believe in monogamy. I think monogamy is clearly not the way we're meant to live our lives. Now, I think it is the easiest way in a relationship in which you love the other person to be, but I don't believe in it. So, for example, when people say the word cheat, I don't use the word cheat. I think whenever people talk to me, whenever the tabloids say X or Y is a love rat or a cheat, mm. I think, no, no, that person is bad at monogamy, which we think everyone has to be good at, but they're just bad at monogamy. So I don't... And this might be to do with my mum because I absolutely don't judge her. And if you come, if you come and see the show, you'll see it's a massive celebration of some level of the mad way in which she conducted this affair. I don't have judgment about that. So, and you when, didn't so feel when you that... say you don't trust people, I wouldn't think of it like that. So you didn't feel that she was betraying your father? Uh, well, I, I guess I. 
didn't. That's very complicated because I talk a lot about my dad in the show and I talk about my dad's dementia and the whole show at some level yeah. is about memory and what people remember. And, you know, I talk quite a lot about my dad and the fact that in as far as I can make out, despite despite my mother really, really broadcasting this affair, because she was very proud of it, he somehow managed not to notice it, <laughs> right? Uh, and that's kind of... And for me, all that has become comic, you see. And by the time it becomes comic, I can't see what she did as a betrayal. For me, there's always a beauty to something that's funny. So far in this programme, we've been talking to performers, but of course, without brilliant writers, the performers have nothing to perform. So in our next chat, we hear from the writers of the new show, Everybody's Talking About Jamie. And the music is written by Dan Gillespie Sells of The Feeling, and the lyrics are by Tom McRae. And here they are, telling us how it all came about. Stories of a a 16-year-old boy um, at his school... Um, has the dream of of growing up and becoming a, a, a drag queen, a professional drag queen. Um, doesn't really know how to start going about it, but um, also wants to announce his dream and announce his thing by turning up at the, uh, the school disco or the school prom, as they call them nowadays, mm. um, in, in in a dress. And, and it's a true story. It's inspired by a documentary that we saw. Jonathan Buttles saw the documentary and thought this is a great idea for a show and I think it could be a really wonderful musical and was in discussions with Daniel Evans at the Crucible Theatre and Daniel loved the idea as well and then he had to set about finding the writers and that's the next stage of the story is when uh, me and Tom um, were put in touch with Jonathan. Um, well, quite by chance, Dan and I had met quite a few years before uh, actually on a rally uh, and we kind of hit it off and I was a huge fan of Dan's music um, and I had a sitcom on TV at the time that Dan liked, so we kind of had a professional uh, love-in as well. And Dan kept saying, we should write a musical, we should write a musical. And so we started about writing some songs, but we didn't have a clue what we were doing, and then we bumped into Michael Ball at the theatre. Literally, we didn't know him, we just, there he was, and he was Michael Ball, and so we said hello, and we kind of introduced ourselves. And Michael, God bless him, took an interest in us. He took us under his wing, gave us some advice, and ultimately put us in touch with Jonathan Buttrell, and we had absolutely no idea that Johnny was looking for writers, was struggling to find writers. And then he heard about these two guys who just started writing musicals and thought we could be the ones, and it all fell into place beautifully and entirely beyond our control. So Michael was, was brilliant when we first, you know, gave us a bit of advice, just said, start writing, start coming up with stuff. You need a bit of guidance, and that's where Jonathan Butterall came in because mm-hmm. Jonathan's got a lot of experience, particularly working in America New York, um, on musicals. And he's a Sheffield boy, which is why... We set the show in Sheffield and opened in Sheffield. So we located it kind of in his sort of childhood haunts, really, uh, which is an area of Sheffield called Parson Cross, where the show is still set as we move into London. And then we just wanted to meet Jonathan to get some advice from a director. We had no idea that he had a secret plan to bring us onto this project. Our next guest was probably the youngest, I think, that we spoke to during the year. She was starring in the Adams Family musical. And although she might be young, she has already had quite a career. Here is Carrie Hope Fletcher. And then by the age of seven, you know, obviously moving on now, you're quite mature. <laughs> We're now at seven, yes. well into your career. Absolutely. Um, you're, now, <laughs> you're now in Les Miserables in the West End. At the Palace Theatre, yeah. yeah. It was Little Eponine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was uh, amazing. So just straight away, were you always, your parents just said, right, off you go, into a show. It was me. Get the kids was, working. Come on. I was a real madam when I was younger. Were you? Yeah, I... Yeah, I was a real handful. If I wanted to do something, I was going to do something and no one could stop me. Um, and yeah, I saw, because my old brother went to Silver Young's Theatre School and so I mm-hmm. saw him acting and I was like, I want to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And 
sort of gave mum and dad no choice about the matter. And so um, I joined Sylvia Young's uh, agency and, yeah, was off auditioning for roles here, left, right and centre. And, and getting them, clearly. Well, yeah, yeah. it was very easy to look cute. That's kind of all, you, all, all that's required of you when you're seven years old. Just <laughs> sort of stand on the right point and... and give a nice smile to the audience. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> and, of course, your brother Tom is yes. a huge star. In, he in, is, in, yeah. Yes, I mean, he's the lead vocalist from McFly mm-hmm. and McBusted. And, and is there sort of like lots of competition between the two? No, there's you? none. I think it's, it's the age gap between us that has kind of kept us so close. He's seven years older than me. Right. Um, oh, big enough. Yeah, so it, he was always a very be... protective older brother rather than... Um, I think if we were any closer in age, it would have been sort of competitive, but... He was always very keen to sort of show me how to do things and then was very proud of me when I sort of did them and succeeded, yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the big hits in the West End right now is Dreamgirls, and one of the stars of the show came all the way from the States to play the role of Effie. She is Marisha Wallace. Tell me how London's West End is different from Broadway. Broadway, it's it's just different in the fact I do feel like a stage is a stage like because I've worked on so many different stages because mm. I've done national tours and things too but like a, a stage is a stage um I do feel like the people here are hungry for the theater because they don't especially they don't get shows like dream girls here and I feel like we have so many singers that sound like the singers in Dream Girls in America. So it's not as special. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So here it's just like they're like, What? I've never heard a voice like this or I've never heard people sing like this. So they're just so excited about the show, which is really cool. So I'm like, Yeah, yeah. well it is special. It's cause we take it for granted because we hear people sing like that. Like, my mom can sing like, well, like, like that, or my grandma can sing like that. You know what I mean? Because you talked about having a church background when you, and yeah. you said that, that everybody just sort of everybody sang. Everybody sings gospel like, singers that. like Every, that. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, because, like, it, your whole family can sing like that. So it's not even something special to you. But then to come here and to sing like I do, and everyone's like, what is that? You know, so it's really cool. Yeah, so you can stand yeah. out here and be different. Yeah, you can be different. Than be just with everybody yeah. else in America. And Broadway, I... It's, I mean, I love both. It's just, you know, it's just a different, it's just, I don't know. There's a lot of community on Broadway, which I like, because I guess it's been around so long. But I do feel like the West End is having a renaissance. We're going to hear from a new star now. He was absolutely charming and sweet when he came into the studio. He came in to talk about his new album. It's Joe McKeldry. I was always asked to do musical theatre roles pretty much from the get-go of coming out of X Factor. And I always had this, like... It was always kind of, for me, I was like, can I do it, can I not? And and I I always felt like it was a little bit... I didn't want to just go into it because I'd done X Factor, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. I didn't want to just turn up into a role when I wasn't ready and everybody go, well, he's only doing that because he won X Factor, you know? Mm -hmm. I I would hate to be that person in, in that environment. I like to do a job and I like to do it properly and I like to be ready for it and prepared. So I was always like, mm, that's not for me, that's not for me. And I always kind of avoided it in the early days um, because I was a little bit scared, you know, of of, of the criticism. And, and, I, yes. and it's a much more disciplined way of working than kind of pop singing. You know, when you're doing your own shows, it's all fitted around you. It's all your material. It's all, it's all, it's just you being you. And that's, 
very easy, you know. For me to stand on stage and chat to an audience and sing, I find it very easy. You know, I'm comfortable with it. It doesn't it doesn't phase us. I, I love it. I enjoy it. And to be a character and, and delve into the emotions of things like that was something that I'd never done before. So when they asked me to do Joseph, I was like, this is an amazing opportunity, but can I do it? You know, can, are people going to enjoy us doing it? Am I going to be hated for it? I don't want to be the worst one. All of these things that I was thinking. And then I thought, do you know what it is? Just go for it. Push yourself out of your comfort zone. And um, and, it, and it paid off, you know. Well, it seems to have gone quite well because Mark Shenton, who's a, a very well-known theatre critic, basically said that you are the, it was the best sung Joseph that he has ever seen. I mean, I'm very um, flattered by that, you know. It's, to, to have somebody like him say that is is incredible. I also chatted to our very own Ruthie Enschel. Let's go back to the very beginning and then we'll bring you up to the present day as we go through. So, Did you always know that this was, this was your calling? Yes. Uh, I honestly don't remember wanting to do anything else and it was from the moment that I found dancing, which was about 10 years old, and it was like somebody switched the light on, you know, at that aha moment that you have when you go, oh, I love this. And it was ballet, of all things. Um, you know, for, for quite a while there, I was very... Um, uh, well, I thought that was where my career was going to go, and then somebody gave me a real sort of, you know awakening um, and said, you're not good enough, darling. Oh, really? <laughs> reality check. Yeah, yes. big reality check because, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, my technique was nowhere near for a dancer and I, I think, you know, the discipline that you need to stay in that business for as short a time as they get to stay in it. And the physical punishment. It's insane. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. It? Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, you did... Go to you went to to theatre school after after I sixteen. Did. Yes, Lane Theatre Arts. Yeah, and, uh, and then you learnt the whole lot. Yes, and, and I think that was when sing. I yes, it was like oh 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 oh. I felt, felt like sort of Victor Meldrew. I do believe it. I do believe it. As all these sort of new wonderful things came at me, and I thought, oh, God, I only thought that was ballet. <laughs> so it was gorgeous. And what was your first sort of big break? I mean, you were in choruses presumably to yeah. start with, and then. Yeah. I was, was in Cats, I was yeah. in uh, the original cast of Miss Saigon, you know, playing Bar Girl number three. And mm -hmm. and it was actually in Miss Saigon that I thought, if if I'm going to do this business, I want to be at the front because I went, I understudied uh, Ellen and I went on for it. And uh, Alan Bublé um, and Claude Michel Schoenberg were in that night and Claude Michel often reminds me of the fact that I walked past him after the, the bow, Ellen's bow, um, my first time on, and I said, he said, you came past me and you said, uh, Claude, I have been at the front. I am never going back. <laughs> so, and he said, and you did not. And that was where I decided that I wasn't going to understudy anymore. I wasn't going to take chorus jobs. I would only do them if it was the lead. Right. Um, and somehow or other that worked. I don't yeah. know how it did, but it did. I think... Do you know what? I honestly think half of the battle is knowing what you want. As I said at the beginning of the show, some of my guests came into the studio, but others, they let me go into their dressing room. And it's always rather fun to be backstage and sort of soak up some of the atmosphere before the show starts. Tracy Ann Oberman was in Stepping Out when I went to see her, but she was actually just about to finish in Stepping Out and to go to Chichester to start in her first ever musical, 
fiddler on the roof. She's so talented. I love Tracy Ann Abram. We had a lovely chat. Now, I did read that your parents weren't all that happy when you decided to be an actress because they wanted to be a lawyer. They yeah, wanted, yes. law, absolutely. Well, anything, I think, yeah. but an actress. Right, Because yeah. they, it, it's such an insecure profession. It was like saying that you wanted to be an astronaut. You know, it's like we'd never met one and yeah. how did one <laughs> become one? So there was nothing in your family? No Actually, drama no, in your family? Actually, no, weirdly, on my or... dad's side, there, there is, I'm, you know, I'm, Claudia Winkleman is my cousin. Okay. And her side of the family, that was on my dad, on my dad's yeah. side, her side of the family were all artists and um, and writers. And so, but from my mum and dad's sort of perspective, no, there wasn't any actors. And who made a living from acting? And what was, you know, how could you live? Yeah. I think my dad's words were, you're going to end up living in a bedsit for the rest of your life with a cat. Yeah. So every day I'm not living with just a cat in a bedsit. I feel I'm winning. Did they make you do a typing course or something as a backup? No, I mine had to do a did. degree. No, did you? Did oh, well, you I did a do, degree oh. and a typing ah. course. Yeah, but luckily the day after I left drama school, I got a job. I got an advert. I got a voiceover first of oh, all. Wow. Who, who knew what that was? I went <laughs> up for an advert the day after I left, and I got this voiceover for After Eights with Simon Goodell. <laughs> after Eight, it is the after dinnerment after all, and that sort of kept me in shillings for. Uh, uh, yeah, least, and then did. I got an, an, another advert, a visual advert. So that was good. And then the day after that, I got a job with the RSC. Then came EastEnders. Well, I'd done a lot of telly, actually, before yeah. EastEnders. A lot of telly. And then I, I did this play at the National with, uh, this, with Ken Branner called Edmund by Mamet. Everyone came to see it in the entire world. Mamet, De Niro, yeah. all these Americas. It was sold out. It was absolutely a smash hit. I mean, it was just brilliant. Great cast. And on the back of that, suddenly, I did really well in that. And I was getting lots of meetings. And then I got asked to come into EastEnders. And I was the only name that I hadn't heard of on that list. And within nine days, I was cast as Dirty Den's wife and hit the ground running and had signed this long three-year contract thinking, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. And four months after that, I, having worked in the industry for 11, 12 years solidly, I was up for Best Newcomer at the <laughs> National Television Awards. This was another treat for me. Sheridan Smith came into the studio. Now, you're inc- you're so versatile. You do so many... We're going to do Country Western Field next album, but you do <laughs> musical theatre and you do big showstoppers and you do wonderful ballads. And how... Where, where next? I mean, do you, do you, is that difficult to go, well... Because you can't put you in a niche because you're a comedian and you're an actress and you're a singer and you do, you do everything. Oh, Does that make it difficult you. to choose what project to do next? I just feel so, well, I just feel so grateful that it's... I can't quite believe that people give me all these different opportunities, you know, so I'm forever grateful and I kind of just think, well, see what comes along next, you know, and often when I'm reading scripts, you know, I want to do something that's totally different to something I've done before, so it keeps pushing you a little bit, you know, and and, and I, just, I just love losing myself in characters, so acting is mm. kind of my, that's my real passion, and so as long as I keep acting and, like I said, you know, I'm a workaholic, so I'll be... I'm sure I'm kind of working till 2019 now. I'm booked up. So. Are you? Are yeah, you? Yeah, for yeah. the whole of next year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not one of those resting actors waiting for the phone to ring. Not you. Well, no, not yet. No. Touch wood, no. though. Touch wood, you never know. I'm just taking... That's why I feel very lucky. I'll take it while it's there, you know. <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed a look back at some of the best bits from last year's podcasts. I'm Alice Arnold, and I'm delighted to tell you that the new series begins next week with Matthew Bourne. 